Mark chapter 14, and we'll be beginning in verse 12 this morning. Hear now with gladness of heart the word of God. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready, there prepared for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve, and as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and say to him, one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping the bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we come, Lord, this morning with great anticipation to, to sit at your feet, to learn, Lord, to hear the words of life. We pray that you would speak to us today. Uh, God, but speak to us in a way that we might hear. Uh, we pray, Lord, for your word to take root and to bear fruit for your glory. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me ask you a question this morning. Have you ever been betrayed by someone? Have you ever been betrayed by someone? Sadly, in a, in a group this size, uh, I think probably most of us could say yes. At one time and another. It may have been in elementary school, a best friend or something like that, but, but we have been betrayed. And if you have experienced that, then you know how much that hurts. The pain can run deep, especially if the person, well, I'd just say it this way, maybe the closer the person is to you, the more the betrayal hurts. I mean, if it's a coworker that betrays you, you know, stabs you in the back at work, you know, it's not like that's no big deal, but you probably could understand that. But if, it, if it's a friend that betrays you, it really stings. And, and if it is a spouse or a parent or a child, that hurt can even leave lifelong scars within us. Because when someone betrays us, they really, they break a trust, do they not? That hurts so much. And as a result, our love for that person can become marred with resentment and pain. That's, that's not to be the Christian response, but oftentimes that's how we are tempted to respond, is it not? And we can feel unsafe and very vulnerable around that person, wondering if we could trust anything that they say. And we can feel so humiliated, and even, I know kids, you're not supposed to use this word, but we can feel stupid. It's not that we are stupid, but we can feel stupid for trusting someone so much, only to be rejected and tricked and, and to be let down 
by that person. And of course, if, if you have been offended like this, offering forgiveness to that person can be very difficult. I, I think for some of us, it may even feel like it's impossible. Even if the other person is seeking forgiveness from us, we may not always be willing to grant forgiveness. Now, here, here again, that's not the Christian response that we are to have, but sometimes that can be tempted the way that we are to do. And even when there is forgiveness, that doesn't instantaneously restore the trust that's been broken. Trust takes time to, to be reestablished. Now understand this morning as you think about this experience that you've had in your life or that you've seen other people go through, understand that as we look at this passage today and the, the ones in the weeks ahead, Jesus understands betrayal like no other person. He has been betrayed in such a significant way. And I want us to look at that this morning. But before we do, I want us just to sort of get the context of, of this passage uh, today. It's, it's the Passover. It's the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread sort of like, you know, went one, uh, one feast into the next feast. It's like one day was the Passover and the next day was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And, and sometimes they were so closely related that they sort of just flowed right into one another. Almost like we might talk about the holiday season. And we're talking about Thanksgiving, we're talking about Christmas, we're talking about New Year's. Only here, the events obviously were much closer. And so we have here uh, the time of unleavened bread. And the disciples are staying with Jesus in Bethany, which is just a few miles outside of Jerusalem. But the thing you have to understand about the, the Passover is that according to Deuteronomy 16, the law of God, it had to be celebrated within the walls of Jerusalem. And what that meant was, is then for the normal, you know, uh, citizens, the, the local people that lived in Jerusalem, they had to make space for people who were coming into Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Because there were Jews from all over the place, Galilee, other regions that were traveling to Jerusalem. You, you may recall from previous studies that we've had in Mark's Gospel that Jerusalem could grow to like 10 times the size, population-wise, uh, during the Passover. There were that many people. And so they had to make room so that everybody could celebrate the Passover. So it, it makes sense that the disciples are asking Jesus, so where do you want us to celebrate? Where do you, where do you want us to go? And, and obviously they weren't celebrating with their own families, but they were celebrating with Christ sort of taking that role that a father would take during the Passover. And the 12 disciples and Jesus must find somewhere within the city limits to prepare. And of course, they had to find a place that was already prepared, or they had to prepare it. They had to get rid of all the leaven and the yeast. They had to, to sacrifice the lamb, had to go to the temple to do that, and to sacrifice it in just the proper way, and to take the meat back and prepare it with the bitter herbs and the unleavened bread and all the other delicacies that went together with the Passover. And, uh, and so they wanted to know, Jesus, where do we need to go to celebrate the Passover? And I want us to notice three things that sort of emerge from this account today. Okay, the very first thing I want us to see is that everything happens here according to God's plan. Everything here happens according to God's plan. Verses 12 through 16 and verse 21. Now, I'm going to sort of jump into the end of the story in verse 21 
and this may not make a lot of sense right now, but it's going to make more sense as we go through it. But we read in verse 21, For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. And what this is speaking about is how Judas is going to betray Jesus. And, and what an awful thing that is that, that Judas is going to do this. But it says, the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. In other words, the, the things that are occurring right now in Jesus' life are things that have been written in the Old Testament. They are things that have been prophesied hundreds of years before this. So there is a plan here that was planned from God from of old and is now being carried out in time and space. And so the Passover will eventually result in Christ being arrested and crucified and all the details were planned by God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit even before the world was created. Okay, then in verse 16 we read, and the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. In other words, they were asking Jesus, where are we to celebrate the Passover? And so he gave them this series of events. Go into the city, look for this man who's carrying a water jar, follow him to a house, and then at that house ask the owner, where's our room? And he will tell you. Now, this was very unusual for a man to carry a water jar. I don't know if you've thought about that. I mean, we don't live in this culture in which we're reading about, so we probably don't know such things. But typically, it was women who carried the water jars. Men would carry skins of water, but it was usually women. So to see a man carrying a water jar would have been a very unusual thing. And so they followed this man, and they found everything exactly as Jesus had said. And so everything happens. All the details were planned, organized. So as we, as we sort of uh, look at the, this account this week and in the following weeks coming up, we need to understand that Jesus is not some poor victim to, to terrible circumstances that were beyond his control, but these are things that were planned out by God for a purpose. You see, on several occasions, Jesus told his disciples that the Son of Man would be betrayed, that he would be handed over and he would be crucified. Because Jesus knew that he was the Passover lamb. That he had come on behalf of his people to die for their sins. That was his mission. That he was to come and to perform. Was to come and to die. And then be raised to life for our salvation. Now, you know, later, actually about six weeks later. Uh, Peter found himself preaching before thousands of people. Thousands of people on the day of Pentecost. And as he was preaching, and, and if you want, you can turn there, Acts chapter 2, uh, specifically you can turn to verse 23, Acts 2, 23. As Peter is preaching, this is what he says to the crowd. He goes, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. In other words, he's saying that it was the intent of these men to do this wicked thing to kill Jesus. But I just want you to know that this didn't happen by accident. This actually was the definite plan and came as the foreknowledge of God. God knew exactly what was going to happen. He had foreordained this. And so Jesus is in full knowledge and absolute control here as he goes through these events. He is steering this ship towards a grim destiny that will become our sin bearer and substitute. And so, 
all of it was planned for a purpose, every detail and crisis. Uh, even the man carrying the water jar instead of it being a, a woman. And, and, and you think, uh, sometimes I think we can be tempted to think that the things that happen in our life just sort of come out of left field. And we think, where did that come from? And why is that happening? And we can be so tempted to think that sometimes the events in our lives are just random. But we are reminded here this morning that every one of them, every single one of them, is, comes from the hand of our God who loves us and cares for us as His people. He is the sovereign King of heaven and earth. Everything that happens, everything happens according to a plan and the details of God as He carries out His will for our lives. Even though we may not always understand what it is that God is doing, He is doing what is good. So the second thing we see is not only is everything happening according to God's plan, but everything happens here according to an act of betrayal. According to an act of betrayal. Look at verses 17 through 20. And you see here that Jesus actually predicts who's going to be betraying him. And it was one of his closest friends that would betray him. And so Jesus knows. Now, you remember last week as we looked at Mark chapter 14, the first 11 verses, uh, and particularly as we got to verse 11, we see Judas who leaves the other disciples and Jesus, and he goes and he finds the religious leaders and he says, hey, I will deliver Jesus over to you. And they're like, great, we'll pay you money to do that. Okay, and then at the end of verse 11, it says, and he, that is Judas, sought an opportunity to betray him. And that's exactly what we see in our account today. Judas just needed to figure out the right time to hand Jesus over. And that's so he was looking for that opportunity. And so here it is uh, in, in what is traditionally in the church calendar called Monday Thursday or Holy Thursday. And this is when Jesus and his disciples uh, were eating the Last Supper. And during that meal, Jesus makes this announcement in verse 18. He says, truly, now kids, truly, what, that's just like saying to say, kids, listen, kids, do, you, do I have your eyes? That's exactly what Jesus was saying. Okay, he says, I want to get your attention. I want you guys to hear this. This is really important. Now, kids, I just want you to know the adults looked at me too when I said <laughs> that, so I got everybody's attention. But that's what Jesus was saying. Truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. So even though Jesus had told his disciples a number of times before, at least three times, of his burial, or excuse me, his betrayal, his arrest, and his death, he now begins to flush it out in more detail. And he basically says, look, not only will I be betrayed, but one of you, one of you guys who have lived with me, who have slept with me, who have talked with me, who have watched me live life, we live life together, one of you will be the one who betrays me. And then we read in verse 9, it says, and they began to be sorrowful as, as they heard Jesus' word. Uh, they wanted to know um, uh, if it was them. Because, see, it was through this betrayal, as awful as it was, that Jesus would save his people from their sins. And so it was according to God's plan that this was would happen. Now, we need to understand this, though. That doesn't excuse Judas and his sin. Matter of fact, look at verse 21. Verse 21 says... For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, 
But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. You see, just because God planned to use a human sin for something good doesn't excuse that sin. God often takes what man intends for evil and turns it around for good. And I think it's ironic but fitting that God was used one of the worst acts of evil, the betrayal of a friend for the greatest good of all time. But like I said, that doesn't excuse Judas's sin. Look at verse 21. There, sort of in the middle of the verse, it says, Woe to that man. Kids, here again, that's sort of a declaration of, of curse and damnation on Judas that Jesus is making. Uh, sometimes people will ask me, Do you think that Judas will be in heaven? And I'll say, No. And this is one of the reasons why, as you look at this verse, it tells us that he's not. He's, he is cursed and he is damned. Um, also in John 17, 12, uh, Judas is called the son of destruction, which tells us that he'll be damned to hell as well. So this is a very serious thing. You see, the person who betrays the Christ is under condemnation that will lead to his eternal damnation because Judas' betrayal was without repentance. He did not repent of that. Uh, which means he had rejected Christ. He had rejected Christ as the only way of salvation. And so uh, this is something that we should take very seriously this morning. That if you are here, I don't care if you've grown up in the church. I don't care if you've been in church every Sunday since you were born. If you reject him, you are eternally damned. That's why it would be better, that's why Jesus said this of Judas, but it's also true of anyone who rejects Jesus. It would be better if that person had not been born. So everything that happens here is according to God's plan. It's also a result of betrayal, but also everything that happens here is according to Christ's mercy as well. In verse 21. Now, it's an awful thing that Judas does to Jesus to betray someone so close to you. But despite Judas's betrayal, it's a warning uh, in verse 21. It's a warning to Judas that Jesus gives. It's a warning of his fate uh, if he should go through with this plan to betray Jesus. You see, it's not too late when Jesus speaks these words to Judas. It's not too late. He could turn back. He could return the 30 pieces of silver and he could say, okay, guys, I've changed my mind. I'm not going to uh, betray Jesus. But of course he won't. I mean, we know that. Jesus knows that. But still, Jesus warns him, doesn't he? Even though Jesus knows he's not going to repent. Now, I think the thing we have to understand is this is nothing new with God. We see God in Scripture all the time warning the reprobate. That is, those who will not repent and follow God. But God still gives them warning. I mean, think about back in the Old Testament, in Genesis chapter 4. Remember, kids, the story of Cain and Abel, right? And, and Cain was angry, and he was jealous with his brother Abel because... God accepted Abel's sacrifice, but he would not accept Cain's sacrifice. But what did God do? If you look back at Genesis 4, you see that God came to Cain, and he talked to him. 
right? He took the time to warn Cain and to direct him away from his sin. But of course, that was just before Cain went ahead and killed his brother Abel anyway. Obviously, God knew that Cain was going to do that, and yet he still warned Cain. God still directed Cain in the right path. And this is all part of the way that God is both merciful and compassionate, while he's also being just and righteous. God repeatedly shows his compassion to man by warning them and calling them to salvation, while at the same time leaving them without an excuse when they decide instead to rebel against God. And that's what he's doing here with Judas. You see, Judas is part of the, the twelve. He's partaking of the Passover. Uh, he is what you might call part of the visible church. Now, if you're not familiar with that term, the visible church is this. Okay, this isn't all of it, you know, because it'd be all of the uh, God-believing churches, okay? But Kirk of the Plains is part of that visible church. Everyone that's here today is part of this visible church, okay? But doesn't mean that every person that's here is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And within this group of people that's part of the visible church, there is this smaller group that's the invisible church. It is those who truly have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Judas was like that. He was part of the visible church. He looked like he was a Christian. He looked like he followed Christ. He, he received all the outward benefits of being a Christian. He partook of the part, Passover meal. And so outwardly he appeared to be a Christian. But soon we'll realize that, that he's not. Jesus knew that he was not. And, and he tells him, Jesus tells Judas where his sin will lead him to eternal damnation. And yet Judas doesn't repent and so he is left without excuse. But, but I want you to notice uh, as you look at this passage, not only does he warn Judas in verse 21, but notice that Jesus doesn't give this warning only to Judas. When, when Jesus tells the twelve that one of them would betray him, notice that Jesus doesn't give a name. He doesn't say, oh, Judas is going to betray me. He just says, someone. He really leaves it as an open-ended statement. Okay, and, and it has a tremendous effect on the eleven disciples. Look at verse 19. It says that when the disciples heard this, what did they do? They became sorrowful. And they ask, is it I? Now, the, in the Greek, that's a very emphatic question. It's put in the negative. Literally, it says, surely not I. Surely not I. You see, Jesus' warning to Judas has a, had a positive effect on the other disciples. To G Judas, it just fell on deaf ears. But to the rest, it caused them to look inward into their own heart. It gave them the opportunity to self-reflect and to examine themselves and to see if it's them. Now, notice that when they ask that question, Jesus doesn't answer them. It's not like he has them lined up, and he's like, is it I? Nope, not you. Is it I? Nope, not you. And it's not like that kind of thing. You know, he, he, he really doesn't answer them. They, so they each ask, is it I? And Jesus doesn't answer. He doesn't say, no, no, no. Instead, he gives them the opportunity to reflect on that. And that's a healthy thing. That's a good thing for us, even as believers, to examine our hearts, examine our lives, and to see uh, where we are and what our, where our hearts are in terms of 
or love for God. You see, it's, it's interesting though, as I was thinking about it this week, that their response in one sense was sort of interesting because surely, I mean, I don't mean to be insulting to anybody's intelligence, but if you think about it, you want to say to the 11, well, are you guys planning to betray Jesus? You know? Because it's like, you know, they're asking, is it I? And it's like, well, I don't know. You're the one that has your calendar and your to-do list. I don't know. Is that on there or not? And, you know, they would say, obviously, no, uh, that they weren't planning to betray Jesus. But um, you think that they could have found assurance in that, but, um, but they didn't. Instead, uh, by each one of them asking the question, is it I, it, uh, it's, it's almost... If they, it's almost as if they realized that they had the capability of doing such a thing. That they were capable of doing such a thing. And even though they weren't planning on doing it, it's almost like they realized, I could do that. And so they ask themselves, is it I? I think they were really honestly trying to, I think they were trying to be honest with themselves and, and were sort of scared of their own depravity as they looked at their own heart. And you see, I think if, if we were honest with ourselves, we realize just how easy it is for us to be like Judas. If we live in a world where betrayal is so common, is it that far-fetched to think that we could betray Jesus? You know, think about the disciples. I mean, shortly after this, they would be scattered after Jesus was arrested. They would deny knowing Jesus. They would flee. They would turn their back on Jesus. Now, that's actually not very far from betraying him, is it not? But Jesus would restore the eleven, and, and, and he's there to restore us as well. Now, you may be here this morning, and this week has been a hard week, and this week, you, you have seen yourself and the way that you have acted and the things that you have said and the attitude of your heart and maybe even the anger and the, the bitterness and, and the rage that's been inside of you. And you're just so glad that nobody else in the congregation this morning can know of such things. And you are very much feeling the weight of your own sin. And, and, and you may be a believer here this morning and you may be struggling with this and and you may think, oh, Jesus, I have betrayed you. Oh, Jesus, I have said that I was a believer, but I have not acted that way. And Satan may be having a field day with you this morning. And you may feel like, oh, God, what do I need to do to be better? And you're trying to figure it out. And he is saying, come to me. Just confess. Just admit your sin for what it is. And it is sin. And, and repent. Turn away from that. Look to me and to trust me and he will forgive. You see, Jesus knew that Judas would betray him. Now, can you imagine this? Can you imagine knowingly entrusting yourself to someone that you knew would break trust with you? Could you imagine that? Entering into a relationship fully aware that that person would one day betray you. And yet, that's what Jesus did. And he willingly endured this betrayal and the shame of the cross for us. He allowed himself to be betrayed 
handed over to the religious leader and killed on the cross so that we could have new life. Did you hear that? He died. He was betrayed and he died so that we could have new life. So that we could have new life everlasting. Life that begins even now here upon this earth. I mean, we will one day in glory receive this eternal life in the fullness of we, as we come to see our God face to face. But even now, in this world, God has changed us as His children and given us new hearts to follow Him so that it would help us in our struggles, brothers and sisters, of this life. Even our struggles with betrayal and the life that extends that we have now will extend to eternity where one day there will no longer be a taste of betrayal. On that day, we will not be tempted to betray anyone, even ourselves. We will not be tempted to betray even our Lord in the way that we act in our lives. And we will not be betrayed by anyone. So this morning, as, as we look at this text, I, I just want to encourage us that it really calls us towards self-examination to look around and, 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 and to see that you are the visible church. And, and we can't know for certain who true disciples of Christ are as we look around this room. Only God knows. Uh, there are people who sit in, this, in these pews, in these chairs this morning, who have received the outward benefit of Christ's church, who aren't really Christians, just like Judas. Maybe some of you used to be like that. Maybe some of you still are like that. Maybe some of you attended church for years before you finally came to a real saving faith in Jesus Christ. But maybe some of you haven't even done that yet. And that's why Jesus calls us to self-reflect. That's why this passage reminds us of the importance to be examining ourselves. We too have seen so much, have we not? We have tasted so much of Christ's blessings. Even if you were not a Christian here today, just to be in sweet fellowship with these people, you guys are awesome church. And to be an unbeliever and to be here and enjoy the friendships and the relationships and how people love you and serve you, they don't judge you, it's such an incredible thing. And yet we know how enticing temptation can be and we know how attractive sin can still be to us even though we've tasted of Christ's grace. And you see, when we self-reflect, what that should do is should humble us as we see those temptations that we have. It should cause us to have a godly sorrow with the sin that is still in our lives. It should cause us to reflect on what areas we need to pray for God's growth in us. Now, of course, I, I just want to give a little caveat, a little warning. Because sometimes in self-reflection, there can be a negative thing that comes out of that. That some of us, especially those that have a very tender conscience, uh, that, you, that, it, it, that can send sort of, uh, it could cause you to doubt your salvation. Okay? Um, Satan may be saying to you, oh look, you're, you're not really a Christian. Look at what you've done and stuff. But, but self-examination is not about a works righteousness. 
Yeah, you don't self-reflect in order to earn assurance based on how well you live your life. No, that's, that's not what we're doing in self-examining. When we are examining our hearts, what we're simply doing is this, is looking to see what is the sin in, in our hearts. And you recognize that sin. But then you grieve over that sin because it grieves your Savior and your God. But then you finally turn to Jesus Christ. You see, it's about trust. You're trusting Jesus to save you, even though you still struggle with sin. And see, Judas didn't do that. Judas didn't do that. He betrayed Jesus. He broke trust with Jesus. But G Judas didn't think Jesus' plan is what he needed. So he didn't turn to Jesus and trust in him. But when we examine ourselves, we need to keep going back broken to Jesus. Going back to him. Not in a manipulative way. Not in a, a way of trying to still live wickedly. And, and yet still try to keep, a, keep out a jail card. No, that's not what Christianity is about. It's not about trying to hang on to the old man and then also though try to act like you're a Christian. We must come to him in a way that genuinely recognizes your need for Christ to forgive you and to trust that he does. It's all about trust. Trust in Jesus. Live your life as a life of trusting Christ. Saints of God, take heart that our trust is not misplaced if we're trusting in Christ. Even if our closest friends and our loved ones betray us in this world, we don't need to fear that Christ will betray us. He will not. He will not break trust with us. Rather, He has already tasted even the sting of betrayal. Hear this. He's He's, he's already experienced the sting of betrayal for us. He was betrayed so that we would not be rejected by God, but warmly welcomed and accepted by God. He was betrayed so that we could be brought into the closest relationship with God, so that we could be made a child of God and a bride of Christ. Amen? Amen. What a glorious thing. We live in that assurance even as we look forward to His coming as His people. Let's bow our heads this morning. Just want to challenge you this morning as we take just some time of silence, just for you to, to quietly pray to the Lord uh, as the Spirit of God leads you. Oh, Father, we thank you so much for the words that you have given us this morning. They are words of life, but they also can be words of death for those that do not believe in you. But, Father, I, I pray for your spirit to, to work in our hearts. 
that if there be anyone within the sound of my voice who does not know you, oh God, I pray that you would grant them repentance, that they would come to faith in you and to trust Christ only. But Lord, that's a scary place to be. That's a scary place to think, but what if Jesus doesn't come through? Oh, but Lord, I pray that you would give them strength. Lord, that they would see that you are a Savior that is wholly trustworthy. That you are a Savior that does exactly what He says. And we can put our full weight upon you, just like we would in sitting in the chairs in which we're seated this morning. We don't have any questions about whether they're going to hold us or not. We know they will. And I pray in the same way, Lord, that we would trust you. Father, for your children who are wrestling this morning, struggling, we pray that you would give them your peace. Lord, if there are those that are struggling with sin, that they would return to you, uh, repenting, Lord, of the sins that they have committed and trusting in you once again. Oh, we thank you that you were most glorious. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you that you would be that you would be betrayed so that we might be accepted by the Father. Glory. Glory be to your name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.